0: Welcome to Inside the Channel, Sophos' 2023 Active Adversary Report for Tech Leaders, brought to you by Sophos, a podcast where we discuss trends in the channel today. I'm your host, Kenneth Johnson from The Channel Company. My guest today is John Shire from Sophos. We'll discuss the recently published Active Adversary Report for Tech Leaders from Sophos, a global leader in innovating cybersecurity as a service. The report provides actionable threat intelligence to help organizations better protect themselves. John, thank you so much for joining me.
1: It's my pleasure, and thanks for having us on to share our research with your listeners.
0: Let's get started with segment one, SOFO's 2023 Active Adversary Report for Tech Leaders. The report takes an in-depth look at attackers' behavior and tools. Where does the data come from?
1: The data from this and all our previous reports comes from our Incident Response Investigations. These are investigations that are done by the Sophos Incident Response Team. Now, this started off a long time ago, but we were looking at RDP. We want to understand how was RDP being used in attacks. And as we were going through the data, as I was going through the data, I started noticing a lot more information that I thought would be useful for defenders to be able to understand the threat landscape and what's happening out there, just understand the attacker behaviors and their tooling. And then- because I'm a completionist, I started gathering all this data and I started looking at how can we provide better protection given this set of data? How can we provide early warning indicators given this set of data? And this aggregate of data helps us understand these activity clusters, specifically when we talk about ransomware as a service operators, where one individual or group might be working for multiple ransomware operators. And so understanding how they go about their business helps us defend against them a little bit better.
0: Now, according to the data, where are the most common attacks?
1: I don't think it's going to be surprising to most of the viewers that ransomware is by far the biggest contributor to this. Now, it's also even more heavily weighted in something like an incident response data set, because you've got to understand that when you're dealing with something like ransomware, which can be quite a damaging attack for an organization, you're more likely to ask for help in those cases. So, this past report was 69% of all attacks that we investigated were due to ransomware. And that rounds out to about 71% for all time. Now, following ransomware attacks, we have things that we call network breaches. And these are essentially just undefined attacks. We saw a threat actor in a network, but we didn't see any clear motivation or goal beyond just breaking in and moving around laterally, escalating privileges, those kinds of things. And if we look further down the list, we see things like data extortion or data exfiltration, web shells, DDoS attacks, loaders, coin miners, and all of that. So Where possible, we try to define specifically what the attack was, but network breach is basically one of these undefined attacks. What are the root causes of the break-ins? Initial access is how did they get in, right? How did they get in the network in the first place? Whereas root cause is why did that work? And so that's the distinction here. And very often, initial access and root cause are one and the same, but sometimes we do find that there are differences between the initial access and root cause. Now, as far as this last report that we released, Compromised creds for the first time in the last three reports was the number one root cause of these. That's the why of the attack. And that was at 50%. And previous levels for compromised credentials were 30% the previous year and 29% the year before that. In second place was exploiting a vulnerability, which has perennially been the top case, but this year was only 23%. So those two together, compromised credentials and exploiting a vulnerability, Account for nearly three quarters of all the attacks, the root causes that we see. Now, if we again look down the list a little bit at some of the other root causes, one that uh, I'm starting to call the hypertension of the cyber world because it's the silent killer is unknown. And we see this both in initial access and in root causes. And it's just when we don't have enough data. So either the logging was unavailable or it was encrypted or the bad guys sometimes they just delete everything. And that Not knowing how an attack started can make it really difficult to remediate and prevent future attacks as well. Beyond that, we see things like phishing and supply chain compromises, which I think is going to become more of a problem as we're seeing in the news these days, and um, uh, brute force attacks as well as adware, which is also on the rise.
0: Every second counts during an attack. Why is rapid response so crucial?
1: In short, it just limits the damage. So the faster you can get to responding to an attack, the better the outcome's going to be. And one of the things you do initially is you try to cut off access. So you want to make sure that you evict the uh, criminals out of your network. And by evicting them and responding quickly, you also reduce the scope of the attack. So if they're only able to get onto a few machines and you can confidently assess that that was the case, then it also makes your response a lot easier, right? There's only a couple machines to reimage and to forensically analyze. There's also fewer opportunities for the uh, criminals to go after some of the more privileged data, if you will. So if they break into a regular endpoint and they don't get to Active Directory, they don't get to the servers, then that makes the job of responding much easier. And it keeps the disruption minimal, right? So if you can, if you can limit that scope, if you can limit the damage, then it also has, by extension, better results for your customers, right? So if you're, if you're a services business the service might not go down if you're able to contain that uh, that initial access to the network.
0: That brings us to segment to attack techniques. Why is ransomware
1: still a pervasive threat? Again, in short, it's because it still works. If we think about the history of ransomware, these criminals have innovated when they've had to. So we had fake AV for a little while that was using credit cards um, to scare users into you know buying their service, and then that switched to things like police lockers, which were actually you know they. They weren't, not all of them were encrypting. Some of them were dabbling with encryption, but because we were getting better at discovering or at detecting fake AV, they moved police lockers, which was more about a social attack at that point, saying that you had copyrighted materials or some, some other sort of illicit software materials on your computer. And because we also worked in the fake AV days with credit card vendors to cut the payments off, then they moved to things like prepaid credit cards. When that stopped working, because again, working with the payment processors, we were able to, to sort of choke them off at the, at the money, if you will. They moved on to crypto ransomware, the modern sort of crypto-like locker style, which uh, celebrated was 10 years this past September 5th, I believe it was. And then Bitcoin was kind of the last piece of the puzzle, right? Because now they were able to generate money uh, by using this new form of currency as opposed to using traditional payment methods. So It's still financially profitable, which is why they're still doing it. And there's multiple ways to monetize ransomware. Not only can you encrypt the files, but you can extort or extort only without encrypting. You can do things like distributed denial of service. So if you can prevent the customers from accessing the service, the company might pay to have that service restored. But we also can't forget about the entire ecosystem, right? There's this whole subculture within the ransomware ecosystem where You've got initial access brokers, and you've got money mules, and you've got people that are working on exploits. You've got people that are doing translations. Well, AI is going to help that piece a little bit, but there's this whole ecosystem underneath ransomware that just feeds the ransomware machine.
0: Why are attackers favoring compromised credentials over
1: vulnerabilities? In this past report, we saw that compromised credentials did rocket to the top, but it's not conclusive that this is, in fact, the new paradigm. And I'm now just starting to do the second half of 2023 or starting, starting on that piece. And so we'll see where that shakes out. But just like you know, Apple, criminals are big fans of a frictionless experience, right? So whatever gets them to their goals sooner and with maybe the least amount of potential for detection, so using compromised credentials is obviously a good way of doing that because you're using something that is legitimate to authenticate to the network. That is one of the reasons I think we saw them use that, but also... If we compare that to some of the earlier reports where there was these really ubiquitous, easy to exploit vulnerabilities, as I'm thinking of proxy shell from back in the 2021, which we're still seeing to this day, I saw some in 2023 as well. We didn't see as many in the last data set that were these you know, really kind of big impact vulnerabilities to exploit. And so the IABs, the initial access brokers are constantly gathering credentials. And because of the lack of multi-factor authentication, which I believe stands at 40% in the previous report, it's just making it that much easier for criminals to just simply walk through the front door. How long does it take
0: attackers to reach Active Directory?
1: When I'm looking at all this data, sometimes, you know, you got to look at the forest and the trees and sort of zoom in and out. And I kept seeing Active Directory names, you know, the server names within Data and I was like, I wonder if criminals are actually paying attention. Is this incidental to the attack, or are they actively going after these these servers? And the thinking was that this is the most powerful and privileged asset within the network. Right, you can modify policies, you can escalate privileges, you can create accounts, you can do all sorts of things. And what I found was that uh, in fifty eight thousand seven hundred sixty two seconds, or sixteen hours, around sixteen hours, um, the criminals were going from what we identified as the start of the attack, so the initial access to active directory so that's fairly quick when you consider that um you know dwell time is shrinking and when you consider just the time frames that are involved here it's less than a day um the outliers here just for transparency were minus 12 days so that means that the attackers actually got onto active directory before we identified the start of the attack which in this case i believe was probably IAB activity. So IAB, an initial access broker, got on Active Directory, resold that access, and then a ransomware criminal came in and started the attack. And then the outlier on the on the high end was 47 days. What's important about Active Directory and why I started looking at it is sometimes, often, it's undefended. And also if it has some sort of security protection, it's Wind Defender only. And disabling Defender is table stakes if you're a cyber criminal. And we've actually seen disabling protection increase. It's on the rise in the past three reports from 24% to 36 to now 43% of the time they are disabling protection on these servers. What's happening here is you're losing visibility and telemetry and your ability to respond.
0: I know this is a, something that many people are interested in. What are the common times we are seeing these
1: attacks happen? This is another one of these metrics that uh, I was interested in to just understand attacker behaviors. and. What we found is that most attacks occur outside of traditional working hours. And we've defined traditional working hours as uh, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. local time. In a previous report, I looked at the day of the week on which attacks were both started and detected in UTC. And being in UTC, it sort of flattened out the data set. And didn't show the, the local nuance, and so we switched to local time. And I focused on ransomware because it's more accurate. It's really easy to tell in the data when ransomware hits because you know the pop up is on the desktop, and we can see it in the telemetry that a ransomware binary was launched. And the biggest clusters that we found were around uh, 11 p.m., midnight, and 6 a.m. So there were those six attacks in each one of those clusters, followed by the rest of them. Ninety one percent of attacks occurred outside those defined working hours with 41% of them occurring Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Nearly a quarter of them happened on Friday. And so the idea here is that the criminals are betting on you not watching during those times and those days. There was actually an example of a black cat victim where the affiliate, after the victim had paid, provided a report of sorts to tell them how they had gone about breaching the network and what they had done. And one thing that was repeatedly mentioned in this report was you're not watching, especially on off hours. And you know, for a lot of organizations, I think that's true. They aren't paying attention, not because they don't want to, but maybe they don't have the resources for that. And even with you know, the big media maker lately this year, which was Klopp, they seem to like attacking on major US holidays as well. So the attackers know this, they know that there's an opportunity here, and they're taking advantage of that opportunity.
0: Yeah, they're striking us when we're most vulnerable. Moving on to the next question, dwell time is shrinking. Why is this both good and bad?
1: Shrinking dwell times means different things depending on which side of the attack equation you're on. So in some cases, as you said, it's good. And I'll give an example. So for things like network breaches, right? If, if we can prevent an attack from getting to the ransomware stage by detecting the threat actors sooner. And that's a good thing. And that means that dwell time will have shrunk. Where it's bad is when it gets to ransomware. And so they've had to move so fast, these ransomware operators these days, to get around some of our defenses, to get to the end stage a lot sooner. And so that's a bad thing. So if you're getting ransomware within a couple of days, I mean, they're moving very quickly. You don't have a chance to respond sometime. And so... The key for us is to continue shifting left, right, in the terms of the attack timeline, left being the earliest possible. And if we can shift left and detect these initial attempts a lot sooner, then that will mean better outcomes for the people that are defending against these criminals.
0: That brings us to segment three, secure your network in 2023 and beyond. What can business and tech
1: leaders take away from the report? So we're hoping that business and tech leaders will take the information that we've presented in these reports and just use it to inform how they deploy their resources. If you know what's happening and how it's happening and why it's happening, you can mount a better defense, you know, plainly said. If you also know where you're weak, so where you're missing some potential security mitigations or even process mitigations there's an opportunity to improve here. And these resources are not just technical, but they are also things like processes and humans. How do we deploy each in what measures and where do we prioritize certain mitigations over others? All the information in the report, I think, helps to inform those categories. And then business leaders can then go ahead and figure out, well, how do we prioritize these things? How do we provide adequate budget and resourcing so that we can put our best foot forward when it comes to defending against cyber criminals.
0: John, you've given us some great information here. How can this data help channel partners serve
1: their customers better? Channel partners generally know their customers really well, right? They work with them on an ongoing basis over a variety of different IT projects, not just security. So they have a broad picture of how the customer is able to respond. Because of that, they likely know the weaknesses that exist in many organizations. So partners can then help organizations in prioritizing security improvements. They can help them in choosing the right security controls or process controls that they need to put in place. And they can ensure, and they can help in the deployment ensures ensure that things are done correctly and with modern controls. And then finally, a lot of these partners can also test that these mitigations are working as expected. So they can do things like penetration testing they can work with the customers, maybe if they're working with a third-party penetration testing firm, they can then work with them to understand the results and then rinse and repeat, figure out where are we still weak, where do we need to make improvements, and how are we going to make those improvements?
0: How do XDR and MDR increase your ability to detect attacks sooner?
1: Secure, monitor, and respond, right? These three key words are going to help you understand how you can deploy the technologies, specific to protection like XDR and the services that are more overarching and helpful to the organization like MDR. So secure means have the technology in place to prevent attacks in the first place, uh, have the processes in place. I've said processes a few times now, and let me give you an example. So for a lot of the business email compromise scams that we see out there, you, know, you get an email or a phone call that says, we've changed our banks from this bank A to bank B, please direct all payments to bank B. Well, an example of a process change would be, regardless of who calls you and when they call you and what they say, you have to double check with another party within your organization, right? So that's an example of a process control. But what these technologies do specifically, like XDR, is they also start providing you now with telemetry and visibility into the organization, which goes to the next step, which is monitor, right? Collect this telemetry, collect all of it everywhere and know what you're looking at understand what everything means you may have to you know lean on some experts for that but understanding what it means then can help you detect signals which is where we get to the response bit right so using that telemetry to spot security events and then having a plan for specific security events so organizations may already have a plan for things like you know if the data center catches fire or floods and they might have a plan for you know, sort of like a cyber attack writ large, right? But do they have a specific plan for what to do in the case of ransomware, in the case of data extortion, in the case of a coin miner, right? The responses to these things are different. And so you must have forethought to go through those planning exercises and make sure that you have a plan for the specific event.
0: Tom, thank you so much for all that great information. How can we learn more?
1: head on over to news.sofos.com. Over there, you can find all sorts of news on the products and services that Sophos offers, as well as some of the other security news that we offer from uh, you know, the general news that we're seeing out there to deep technical analyses of specific threats, specific attack campaigns, and threat actors. And if you want to learn more about the active adversary reports that we've published, as well as the forthcoming one that's due out in November, Just search for Active Adversary when you're on news.sophos.com.
0: That concludes Inside the Channel, Sophos' 2023 Active Adversary Report for Tech Leaders, brought to you by Sophos. I'm your host, Kenna Johnson. See you next time.